0: You're listening to RiverCast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Hey, good morning, River. So good to see you guys today. I trust and hope that you are doing well. Go ahead and take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me at Esther chapter 3. Esther 3 this morning, and uh, the title of my message is, What do you do when policies and politics clash with your faith? What you do is is you obey until you need to disobey. We're going to talk about as disobeying as followers of Jesus. God has taught us; it's hardwired to us to obey. In a few minutes, we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper, and even Jesus was obedient on the cross. He, as he prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, "Lord, I'm Father. I'm willing to." to 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 have i want people to be saved me forgiven their sins but is there's any way that we can do this deal without me dying i would love that but, Father, nonetheless, not my will but yours. Jesus was obedient to the Father, and the Bible teaches us as followers of Jesus that we should be hardwired into obedience. In fact, sin is simply disobeying God, and a heart that is rebellious toward God. That's the the, the what is hardwired into each of us as we're born in this world, is to disobey and to rebel. The simple illustration, does a parent have to teach a child to be good or to be bad? You don't have to teach your kid to be bad. They know it. It's already wired into their little hearts to disobey and to want to do their own thing and to rebel and to question and buck and all of that. And, and so obedience is really us coming into alignment underneath God. And he tells us that we should be in alignment under the, the powers and the authorities in which we live, whether it's our governments, national, state, local, that kind of thing, whether we're a part of a homeowner's association of where we live whatever arrangement, whether it's our work, our spirit, to naturally obey until those few moments when we're to disobey. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Read with me, if you would, in Esther chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole chapter to give us the, the whole picture of the story. The Bible says this. After these things, King Ahasuerus, or Xerxes, your Bible might say, promoted Haman, the Agagite. This is the first time we see him. Now the stage is really going to be set for what's going on in this whole book today. So there's a new guy named Haman. He's an an Agagite, which meant he was of the descendants of the Amalekites, the people of Canaan earlier on that that possessed the promised land that God had given them. So uh, he was an Amalekite. It's significant. We'll come back to it in a minute. So the king elevated him and advanced him, the Bible says, and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. So he became number two in the land. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai, who was a Jew, did not bow down or pay homage. Then the king's servants who were at the gate said to Mordecai, "'Why do you transgress the king's command?' And when they spoke to him day after day, he would not listen to them. They said, "Haman, what are you doing? You should be bowing down. What what's going on?" And day after day, he told them, he told them um, that he would not listen to them. And they told Haman, like tattletales, right? Well, he's not. They're not. He's not obeying you. Like it's like kids. It's like kids' stuff. So they went and told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. I think they really didn't want to bow down either, and they were kind of like, hey, let's see if Mordecai gets away with this. Maybe we can opt out of this thing too. Seems like what they were doing, but it doesn't turn that way, as you know. And when Haman, in verse 5, saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury, but he disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. He wanted more vengeance, more blood than just attacking Mordecai. So as they made known to him the people of Mordecai, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, throughout the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. In the first month, which is the month of Nisan, not the car, another month, in the twelfth year of King Ahasuerus, they cast poor, that like dice. So they cast lots, kind of like rolling the dice to see what they should do. They cast lots before Haman day after day, and they cast it month after month till the twelfth month, which is the month of of Adar. What they were doing is Haman had in his mind that he wanted to put to death all the Jews, and he was rolling the dice to get, find the favor of his deity, which would be the best month that he could have favor to do this well. So he was a religious person. He was a person of faith. It was a bad faith, and it was a faith in the wrong kind of thing. But nonetheless, he was trying to find out the best way that he could have success and get all of his vengeance to, to kill all of the Jews in his kingdom, as we'll see in just a moment. And then Haman in verse 8 said to King Ahasuerus, there's a certain people scattered abroad, didn't even name them, and dispersed among the peoples and all the provinces of your kingdom. That was true. Their laws are different from those of other people, which was also true. And they do not keep the king's laws. That's a little bit true. It's a half-truth. They keep most of them, just that one. And so that it is not to the king's prophet to tolerate them. If it please the king, let it be decreed that they be destroyed, annihilated, completely expunged from the earth. And I will pay ten thousand talents of silver into the king's, into the hands of those who have charge of the king's business, that they may put it in the king's treasury. King, it won't cost you a thing. I'll finance the whole thing. In fact, I'll incentivize it to make sure it's done. Now any good ruler should so wait a minute. You're willing to pay that kind of money? What's the problem? What really is going on? But this king isn't that wise, as we'll see. And he goes along with it. In verse 11, And the king said to Haman, The money is given to you, the people also, to do with them as it seems to to you. The king said, Yeah, keep your money. I don't need it. You do whatever you want to do. Go kill all the Jews. Then the king's scribes were summoned, in verse 12, on the thirteenth day of the first month, an edict according to all that Haman commanded was written to the king's satraps and to the governors of all the provinces and to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script and every people its own language. Remember, this was the largest empire. It went from India all the way over to North Africa, across that whole region, and he sent out an order... It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus and sealed with a king's signet ring. Letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children. In one day, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. And so the couriers go on out and do their thing. And it's chilling. The last verse, verse 15, after the couriers went out, the Bible says, "...and the king and Haman sat down to drink." But the city of Susa was thrown into confusion, chilling. (laughs) They just wrote an order to exterminate, to annihilate, to kill all of the people, the Jews. Genocide, racist policy to actually murder everyone. And they're like, hey, let's go have a drink. And they would just chill and act like it was no big thing. Just chilling. You may or may not have picked up on the date that we mentioned a a minute ago. The Bible says that it was the first month, or excuse me, the... um, the, the, the dates that I shared with you earlier, I'm all of a sudden not finding it. 13th day of the first month. That doesn't mean anything to you and to me because we're not in tune to the Jewish calendar. But what that would have been like to them was, hey, July 3rd, we got a new rule. We're going to exterminate and kill all Americans. I mean, that's bad enough, but we'd be like, wait a minute. That's the day before, like, we declared our independence. This was literally the day before the Passover when God had freed all of the Jews out of Egypt, when he said, I'm going to protect you and keep you safe. Literally the day before the annual celebration of that, there's a new... Order that now they're going to be killed again. You see, the Holocaust of Germany wasn't the first time the Jewish nation ever felt uh, or ever faced being killed. It happened as Egyptians tried to wipe them out on the way out of, of Egypt, and it happened here in the nation of Persia. So we see that Mordecai, this transpired because Mordecai was unwilling to simply bow down and kneel before the king's man, and he disobeyed the king's order. Was Mordecai right? Was he wrong in doing that? Well, we'll see. There are six or seven instances in the Bible where the Bible tells us as followers of Jesus Christ, models for us that there are times when we should disobey the authorities around us, whether it's a boss at work, professor at school, whether it's the homeowner association, where it's the governor, the president, the town supervisor, there are times when we should disobey the authorities around us. But before we get to those times, I want to paint the picture quickly of what God's vision of our world is supposed to be, how we're supposed to live our life in this, in this world. I want to read to you out of, out of Jeremiah chapter 27 that God gave a, a picture to the Jewish nation, years before this instance with Persia, of how they were to live their life in a foreign land, they had been conquered and were deported and exiled, enslaved, if you will. And God wanted them to me. Yes, you are suffering punishment because of your sin and disobedience. And this is happening because I told you it would happen when you disobeyed me. It's your responsibility. It's your fault. There are consequences when you, in the rebellion of your own heart, don't pay attention to me. But God was letting them know that they weren't forsaken. And he gave them a picture of what their life was to be like in a foreign land. It's a picture of what your life and my life is to be like today. You see, our real citizenship, folks, is in heaven. When you're a follower of Jesus Christ, our first and foremost loyalty is to God. That's where our real citizenship is, and we should realize that we're all foreigners and strangers on this land. It matters not which nation you're a part of. It matters not where you were born, where your citizenship is, if it's with your naturalized country, if it's a country that you've immigrated to and and swapped and and changed your citizenship. But look what the Bible says, that God kind of gives a picture for how we should live. In verse 4, you don't... Just listen. I don't want, well, You can turn there if you want to. I'm in mean, Jeremiah 29, 4, but it won't be on your screen. But listen to what the Bible says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. You see, the king of Babylon didn't bring them in. God sent them there because they disobeyed him. They were there because God put them there. He tells them this. God says this. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. Take wives. And have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. God's saying, guys, you're going to suffer for generations because of this sin. But live your life. Be blessed. Make your way there. Get jobs. Live. Multiply. Be blessed of me. And then the verse that I want to focus on, he says this, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. You see, what God wants us to do, guys, is to live our life and to recognize that we live in a land that is not in a life. God. If we learned anything as we walk through the book of Daniel, and the book of Judges, there, especially the book of Daniel, there's going to be no kingdom on this earth that is God's heavenly kingdom on this earth. It's not going to happen. That every kingdom, including the U.S., has its own seeds of destruction sown from the very beginning. No matter how much wonderful Christian heritage we may have in our past, no matter what honorable men and women have, have lived their lives before us, that every kingdom is ultimately apart from God's. And we are strangers and foreigners in these lands. And what we should do as we live is to seek God's blessing in the communities in the world in which we live. That our, our allegiance and our eye is turned elsewhere. We've talked about that for numbers of different ways for the last you know several weeks or months. But as we live our life, that our hope is found in heaven and our hope is found in our Lord, and we should seek God's good upon this land in which we live. That was God's command to Mordecai and Esther. Even as they lived in Babylon, before they suffered this, was to to live and make their way in this world and to pursue God and worship and glorify Him, but pursue the good... For the communities in which they live, knowing that ultimately it's God that either blesses or removes blessings from communities. It's God who blesses or removes blessings from nations. That's the picture in which they should live. Let me give you the second picture, and then we'll talk about disobedience. Romans chapter 13. Listen to what the Bible says in, in the book of Romans. Paul the Apostle wrote this when Nero was king of Rome many centuries later. The one who was such a tyrant in Rome burned half the city because he wanted to rebuild other things, and then he had the audacity to blame it on the Christians. And he riled up the the the, the uh, Roman Empire, the city against the Christians, and they crucified them and burned them, uh, lit them on fires. They hung on crosses. In fact, it was on such a display that was his. Instead of you know electricity and lights like we have in our football games, he would had his arena uh, across the arena with crosses and Christians hanging there and lit them on fire, so he could run his chariot races around at night. Just an insane tyrant. He's the guy that's on the. Th- on the throne, leading and ruling that kind of regime when Paul writes this in Romans chapter 13. Paul said this. He said, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that, that uh, exist have been instituted by God. Paul says in that one sense, he says, Guys, you are to be obedient to every authority over your life because there's no one that has authority in your life except God's been giving it to them. So if you disobey them, it's like you disobeying God. If you complain against them, it's like you complaining against God. This gets uncomfortable for us because I don't know about you, but I don't like people telling me what to do. You probably don't either. But God tells us those authorities are there because God's there. And the thing that we don't like is really the result of our own sinful, disobedient nature in our heart. And we can't, play against, we can't play against God's authorities on this earth and then submit to God. And actually, if you submit to God, you've got to submit to those as well as what he just said in that one verse. Then he goes on in verse 2 and says, Therefore, who resists, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to, to good conduct, but to bad. Why would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God and avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. And Paul continues there, but we won't. What Paul tells us, what Paul and Jeremiah tell us under the leadership of God is this. Wherever we live, whatever regime in which we live, whatever government system in which we find ourselves, whatever policy that we're under at work and at play and our government and all of that, we are to seek God's blessing in those arenas, we live and expect God to bless us and live out our lives fully in that world, seeking God's good on that community in that world, but we are also to obey those laws and those rules as an expression of our obedience to God. That's the nature of what our Christian faith is to be. Well, if that's the case, why did Mordecai, going back to Esther, why did Mordecai disobey the king's order? He was a government official of the day. Why did he do that? I don't, the Bible doesn't give us all the reasons behind it. We're left to surmise a couple, but the Bible doesn't leave us without clues. Couple of things. One, in the Persian world, to bow down before the emperor was, in essence, to almost treat the emperor like a divine deity. You know, Rome wasn't the first one to invent that. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, as the saying goes. I mean, we've talked about a man who thought all the women in the empire belonged to him if he wanted them. Right? That's the kind of mentality that we have, and and so. The in and authority were lifted up, and so Mordecai saw that and saw that this, in essence, wasn't just simply giving respect. It wasn't saluting. It wasn't even you know, just simply bending the knee or whatever, but it was actually recognizing on Haman something closer to the nature of a God that was against his true faith in the one and only true God. Second clue the Bible gives us, Haman was an Amalekite. You may remember the story of Exodus when the Jews were leaving the promised land. Remember the story where Moses is praying, Joshua's fighting the battle, and every time Moses hands up, they're winning. When they're down, they're losing. That was the Amalekites. The Jews were minding their own business. They were passing through to the promised land. And the Amalekites didn't like it. They had just left the oppressive nation of Egypt that had commanded them to kill their their children and just awful slavery and oppression. And the Amalekites did a proactive, unprovoked attack to kill them and wipe them out. And the Jews had to defend themselves. And from that point on, the Bible says that God set in His mind... Well, God didn't set his mind at that point. God's mind's always been set. But that's when we first discover that God was against the Amalekite people and said that he would wipe them out. Fast forward, those are the same people that remember King Saul. When Samuel told him to conquer the Amalekites, King Agag was there before King Saul. And the Bible says that God had commanded that all of the Amalekite people, all of their oxen, all of their sheep, everything was to be devoted to the Lord and put to death because of their disobedience and their rebellion against a holy God in heaven. But King Saul disobeyed that. They kept the best of the, the sheep and the livestock and they kept the king alive. Do you remember how angry that Samuel was at Saul? In fact, he ended up killing, or at, yeah, at Saul, and he ended up killing Agag that day. And that was the beginning of the end for King Saul and his authority over Israel. God was against those people because they were against God and his people. And Mordecai recognized that. And Mordecai was, in essence, saying, God, I'm going to obey you, and I'm not going to follow the one whom you said should be destroyed. It was a religious, spiritual, faith objection to what was put upon him. So when should you and I disobey the governments around us? We like to complain about those, and I'm there. We, I complain more than I should because of all of these things that we're talking about. But the Bible tells us we're to be people by nature in our heart that are obedient, to obey their parents. We, our culture has kind of made light of that and children to express themselves. And we could talk all about that a whole nother day, but obedience is what God expects out of us, not brainless obedience, but faith and faithful obedience. And the two instances, when we look at the two reasons that we are called to disobey our governing authorities, as we look at Scripture, there's six or seven times when God's people disobey the command of the day. It's when the command is overtly evil, or secondly, the command tells us to disobey what God clearly says. You see, the Egyptian nation told the Jews, kill all the Jewish baby boys. Put them to death. The Jews are just, they thought the Jews are just really strong people. They have lots of boys. They're strapping. They're starting to outnumber us. There's going to be like a coup. We got to knock their population back a little bit. So you, you midwives, you nurses, when those babies come out and it's a boy, kill them. That was the command. Awful, awful command. the Bible says that the Jewish midwives disobeyed. Why? Because it was an evil order. And we get the whole story of Moses and how he was saved. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down before those idols. And they were thrown in the hottest part of the fire. Was that evil to bow down for idols? Absolutely. But it was, on top of that, it was just wrong and against what God's word said. The king of Babylon made a decree that you could pray to no one except to uh, the king for a time. And Daniel said, I'm not going to pray to the king. He's not my God. And he continued to pray before God, and he disobeyed, disregarded. Paul or The apostles, Peter and John, I believe it was, when they were standing before the religious authorities in the book of Acts, they said, don't talk about Jesus. Cut it out. Don't do it. And they said, hey, whatever floats your boat, man. If you, if you guys think that it's wrong to talk about Jesus, that's your call. But for us? Yeah, we're not going to do that. It's wrong. We, we can't help but talk about the things, about the one who's changed our lives. And they disobeyed the governing authorities and obeyed Jesus and continued to proclaim his name. There's two times in your life when you should disobey clearly what those rulers might tell you to do. It's when it's evil and when it clearly goes against God's word. You know, in this past year with the whole pandemic and all of the wearing masks and social distancing and all of that, I had lots of conversations with pastors and so many were like, wait a minute, they can't tell us not to worship. God tells us to worship and all of that together. And I... And, you know, you could interpret it that way. I looked at much of it was like, you know what? The government has the responsibility to look out for the safety and welfare of all of us. I don't like some of these, and yeah, I got a lot of questions and doubts and skepticism as well, because I know what government likes to do, even in the U.S., and all of that. But at the end of the day, we can still worship God, we just have to do it differently, and the Bible didn't say you have to be able to do your thing exactly the way you want to do it to worship me. It just said worship and gather. And I'm glad that we had technology we could do it. And so for us and me at River, we felt like we honor God and honor our authorities and adapt and, and wear masks and all of that. Don't like it, don't enjoy it. But we felt like that was being most what was obedient to God. Going way beyond that, folks, I don't know where our country is headed. You know, it's shocking to me to think that it was just a little over 50 years ago. I think it wasn't Lyndon Johnson that it was it 1964 when he finally and firmly repealed all of the segregation laws. That was not long ago, folks. That's a little over 50 years ago. Some of you were alive then. Can you go back with me in the civil rights where... Not everybody could drink from any water fountain they wanted to and use any restroom they wanted to and ride the bus and have freedoms to vote. Give me a break. As Christians, we would be obligated to stand against those kinds of ridiculous laws. Every person is made of God. And I appreciate those that stood against the government and those kinds of laws because they were wrong. So you and I, it is not foolish to think that we have to make those choices along the way. In the future, we may have to do so again. As Christians, it's incumbent upon us to honor God, but to disobey the authorities when they are doing evil and wrong and when they are telling us to disobey what God's Word clearly clearly says. What does that mean for those of you in jobs today when you are being required to refer to uh, people who are born either male or female and with gender dysphoria and trying to figure their life out? You know, some of you in the education sector and the public sector are, you know, being forced to do that, with my understanding and belief. You know, at those stages, do you give in? Do you not and suffer those consequences? These kinds of things are directly upon us. Well, let me segue to the third thing and I'm done. When we civilly disobey, how should we do it? How should we go about it? And all of the instances that the Bible gives us, and we're not going to look at these today. I think your life groups may look at some of those or you guys may refer to them. I don't know. I think there's going to be some interesting discussion this week of how this plays out. But what do we notice with, with uh, Mordecai? Does Mordecai get a demonstration to burn down Haman's house? He doesn't. Is he respectful? Seems to be. He just refuses to bow. He refuses to bow to compromise his own faith in God, and the one true God, and he goes against the norm... And it goes against all of that. So when you and I disobey the authorities around us, we should do it as peacefully as we can, if possible, respectfully as we can, if possible, without destruction of, of life, all of those things. We should follow. In every instance of the Bible, what we see is a people not doing what they're told. But we don't see the antagonistic and the tearing down and the destruction of life and property of those that gave the command. And The second thing that we should do when we disobey, we should be willing to face the consequences. You know, I wonder if Haman knew what would. If he had a sneaking hunch of what would happen, I. My sense is, is he probably was a little shocked at how quickly this escalated. He probably saw it as something between him and Haman, and all of a sudden Haman made it now, where his death sentence went across the whole people of Israel. So when you and I disobey, whether it's our boss, whether it's our our supervisor, our professor, a, a governor, a, a, any type of any kind of authority. We need to do it knowing that we're going to face the consequences in the middle of that. We should, with eyes wide open, recognizing that there's going to be consequences in the middle of it, recognizing that, that things can happen. You know, I'm grateful for the folks in the civil rights area that were willing to be put into jail to highlight to say, this is wrong. This is absolutely wrong. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the, 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 the peaceful demonstrations and all those things. And it, to be honest with you, it's, I'm only 52, and all the legalities and all of that happened. And it was just before I was born. That's what takes my breath away. You know how we all are. If something happened before you were ever alive, it seems like it's ancient history, but it was not. That was not long ago. And they suffered that. Whether it was Martin Luther King Jr. thrown where there was him thrown into the into jail in Birmingham. And so many people, very I'm grateful that they were willing to suffer those consequences, humbly to take that to bring a highlight to it. So before you step forward and do that, are you willing to suffer the consequences? So come back to the thing. Is it right for you to, to call somebody a he when you know they were born a she? To call them a they? Or to call them call him or her a they or whatever in the middle of it? Do you, is, it is it you denying God who made them and their gender? To be honest with you, I think you could come up with a different answer depending on how that plays out in your mind and heart. Is it, is it you compromising what you believe about that issue by calling that person a different gender or a different name that maybe has a different thing? Like, there's, there's some complications in here, guys. And one little message in the morning, can't sort all that out. I'm not going to pretend to because there's so many nuances and exceptions that you're facing. And to be honest with you, even you're going to struggle there. But let me say it this way. If you come to the point where you, change, you changing those pronouns is a compromising of your faith, then you have one of two options. You either allow example in those settings and you need to be willing to face the consequences, whatever those are, or you really are on the cusp of needing to find a new job and to adjust now, because of our faith, there's all kinds of jobs that you've not taken because they were felt inappropriate or somehow compromised or would affect what you do. Some of you've taken jobs that, not taken jobs because you'd work on a Sunday and you wanted to be free to be able to do that to worship God. And that's, that's fine, that's within your choice. You are. It is increasingly in our culture around us where we have to recognize those kinds of decisions. And if you in your heart can't get and where you're living within the laws of the land and honoring God in the middle of that, then you either need to prepare for the, what's going to happen to you or because thankfully we live in a free country, you need to alter your career, educational, whatever pathway, whatever's going on so that you can live in obedience with God's word. And the third thing, and I'm done. I only do, we do it respectfully. I only do it knowing the consequences that we need to suffer but we also do it um, trusting God to take care of us in the process. You know, Mordecai didn't know what was going to happen exactly, and that's what the rest of the story of Esther is all about. End was such a happy ending. He lived happily ever after. You might go through things, there have been plenty of followers of Jesus in other lands who've died for their faith, always have been, always will be. But you and I have to recognize that we serve a God who's above all of this. I think back to the Nuremberg trials, back to the coming out of Nazi Germany, and the attorneys argued on behalf of the, the officers of, the, of, the, of the Hitler's Nazi regime. Well, they were just following the orders of the land. It's not their fault. It's not their fault they committed genocide and killed all these Jews. They just were following the authority of their land. And I like what one of the judgment judge's comments were, said. He said this, is there not a law above our laws? Isn't there something that's a little bit higher? You see, that's what the one that we follow we don't just blindly as Christians follow the laws that are underneath us. We do it with eyes open, or the laws that are over us. And every ounce of whatever law we can follow and keep our conscience before God and honor Him, then we are to do that because it honors God. And when we can no longer do that, then we must civilly disobey and take whatever consequences come with that. So folks, I don't know what challenges you face at work. They come in small ways. One of our members in the past, at their workplace, all of the employees went on up to another floor and they held a seance together. And this employee had to say, yeah, I don't wanna do that. It wasn't mandatory, but it was social pressure. You will face all kinds of things in your workplace. And you'll have to make some of those choices. Because we live in a free land, you might opt out of some of those jobs, some of those careers, move forward, move, just say, I'm going to do it because that's what I'm going to take to honor God. Somewhere along the line, you and I may have come to a point where we have to make a decision about various things. That world is, is here and real around us. But regardless, folks, have eyes open. And when we do those things, Trust God that regardless of what happens, he really will take care of us. Our life may be different. Our life may, in some places, if persecution comes to a real degree, it may end. But the Lord of heaven is God, and he'll take care of us. So that's what I want us to see out of out of Esther chapter 3. Your groups this week are going to be interesting. Folks, I encourage you to talk about those things. Don't dive down into politics too deep with the liberal all of that. Don't 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 get into that world. Stay, not middle of the road. Don't dive into the politics of it, but deal with the realities of the issues and the things that we face as we discuss that. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into our Lord's Supper, okay? Father, I thank you for the example of Mordecai. I'm thankful, Father, that he was such a man of faith. I know we're going to see in the next uh, week or two that he was saw that your hand in his life, and Esther's life, that all of a sudden things made sense. That you were going to use them and did use them to protect your people. But Father, he didn't know that. He just knew that it was wrong for him to bow down. It was not a personal thing. It was not a prideful thing. He would, We don't see the pride that Amon had. It was a obeying you kind of thing. And Father, It can be hard at times to know where to land on those issues. I even think back, Father, to our Revolutionary War. I'm not sure how much of that was for just pure religious freedom and how much of it was because of high taxes and wanting freedoms. And Lord, even though we prefer to have low taxes and to live with freedom, uh, your word is pretty clear that we stand and we... Stand against the authorities when it's evil and when it disobeys you. So, Father, help us to, to navigate all of those things well in, in our generation and our time. And Father, uh, give us that wisdom, that clarity of how we should each make those decisions in our life today. And, Father, help us to live with the consequences tomorrow and to trust you and to have faith. And Lord, as we talk about the Lord, or we participate in the Lord's Supper, I'm grateful that the Lord Jesus obeyed even to the point of death on the cross. And that because of it, we have freedom and salvation from our sin. And it becomes a model to us. It's certainly a point of our faith, but it's also a model that we're to obey and obey you even in extreme difficulties. So Father, help us to know just what that means in our life, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, I hope you have a blessed week and a great afternoon. God bless you. Thanks for listening. Join us on Sundays at 930 and 11 or online at riveralbany.com.